But we are in a series where we've been talking about, the basically talking about some Bible characters. And we could take any of the thousands and thousands of, of characters that are in the Bible, really, and, and make some of the points that we're looking to make. We want to understand how uh, the, the Lord God is an extraordinary, almighty, incredible, wonderful, merciful, powerful God that we've just been singing about. But it's you and me. It's ordinary people that, that God outworks his purposes through on the earth. Amen? And so we've been looking at different characters and understanding how God uses them. Our natural tendency when we think about God doing great things would be say, why me? Why would God use me? Why would God allow me to be involved in his purposes? Because we are aware of our weaknesses. We're aware of our failings. Uh, but the pages of scripture show us that time after time, people with weaknesses, people with failings, they used uh, powerfully in God's plans and purposes. And every character we admire, in, uh, admire throughout Scripture is an ordinary person choosing to serve an ordinary God. God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So why not you? Why would God not do something remarkable and powerful through you? And we want to be faithful with what God gives us to do. We want to hear his voice, and we want to be those through whom God does great things, not for our attention or for our glory or for t to tick a box or make ourselves feel better about ourselves, but so that we see God's plans unfolding on the earth, so that we see his purposes fulfilled. Amen? Amen. So, to, so this morning, uh, and I tried, I was on eBay looking for uh, an alabaster jar myself, and I couldn't get one, certainly not within a certain amount budget-wise, um, and I do like a bargain. So uh, if, you know, if you know me at all, you know I like a bargain. Well, there were no bargain alabaster anythings uh, on eBay this, uh, this last couple of weeks. But um, we are going to talk about a lady with an alabaster jar. We're going to read from Luke 7, uh, starting in verse 36. There's a few slides here. If you want to, and you can see the words clearly enough, feel free to read along with me. We like to declare what the, uh, the scriptures. We believe that the Bible is God's word revealed to us uh, so that we can uh, be who he wants us to be and understand him as he wants us to understand him. And uh, so as we uh, do this, we like to declare God's words together. Uh, and if you're happy to, please read along with me. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, 
I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Lord, thank you for your word. Help us to unpack it, to understand it, and to apply it to our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. We need to get over some cultural differences and cultural barriers in this story. I don't know how many of you expect when you go around to somebody's house uh, to have um, them wash your feet or pour oil on your head or uh, necessarily even give you a kiss. It might be uh, slightly unusual. So first of all, let's get over some of those. I'm just going to make a blanket kind of statement that those things were cultural expectations and cultural norms. So we need to understand, let's not get bogged down by the cultural issues here. Now, if I was to come to your house these days, it might be that you'd want to offer me a cup of tea or coffee. Uh, and and if, you, if, if, if we were to carry on and I was there for a few hours and I hadn't been offered a drink, I might think, well, I haven't even had a drink. So we, we, we have cultural differences and cultural norms. Now, this uh, story is debated, but in this account, in terms of who it is, but in this account, we are not given the name of this woman. All that we're told about her before this encounter with Jesus is that she lived a sinful life. What this means is that she was a known sinner. She was notoriously a sinner. It may have been that she was a professional sinner. And to the Pharisee, to Simon, uh, and to those elite religious leaders who uh, prided themselves on understanding the law of God, that behavior of this sinful woman made her an outcast to them. But we have an extraordinary God. And the reason I'm focusing on this story this morning is because I think this, and this is a particular account of this story, I think this shows us and illustrates us and helps us to understand just how extraordinary our God is. Revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ and even at the end of the story, who is this man that he forgives sins? And that is the extraordinary God that we serve. So as I mentioned, it's much debated whether this is a different story to when Jesus is anointed in Bethany by Mary, who's Lazarus and Martha's sister, um, shortly before his death. Uh, there are, in all four accounts of the Gospels, there are different stories pertaining to people with alabaster uh, coming and anointing Jesus. 
And you can read one scholar whose brain is much bigger than mine, and they will tell you that they're all the same person. And you can read another scholar whose uh, brain is much bigger than mine, and they will tell you that they are different accounts. Some of them will say that three are of one and one is of the other. Some will say that two are of one and two of the other. So, we don't know, (laughs) is the point. So we take this story, and we take a story like this on its own merit. What does this story tell us? What do we know from this story? And how can we apply this to our lives? Uh, There are some parallels that go across the the different uh, accounts of of Jesus having an encounter with um, a woman or or women with these alabaster jars. But there are definitely some distinctions and it's very difficult to tell what's what. Um, uh, And if I'm honest, it's very hard to, to understand how anybody can claim to be totally sure about answering that question. But we will look at Luke's account in its own merit and in its own meaning. The first thing that we find out about this woman is a woman, she lived in that town and she lived a sinful life. I think the learning point here is that we've actually all lived a sinful life. The difference for this lady is that she didn't need any convincing. She knew. She knew what she'd done. She knew what she was known for. She, we don't know her situation. We don't know her background, why she found herself in the situation that she did. But she didn't need any convincing that she needed a savior. We don't have to look very far to recognize that sin is part of the human condition. Turn on the news when you get home. And you will see evidence of the selfishness and the sinfulness of humankind across the earth. Dare I say, well, let me say this for myself. When I wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and I reflect on who I am, I'm aware of my failings, the things I've done in the past, the things I struggle with in the present. We don't have to look very far to realize it. But the reality is often we we turn a blind eye and we don't think about it in that sense. And we also want to naturally rank ourselves on the sinner scales. Uh, that, those scales work in two ways. There's two kinds of scales. There's the good versus the bad. So we, we live our lives and we think, well, as long as I'm living my life in a way that where the good is, is just kind of outweighing the bad. So I, yes, I've made some mistakes and some failings. But if I do enough good stuff, then, then I'm going to be okay. That's one uh, aspect of these scales. Uh, And the other one is like a graph kind of a scale where we go, well, yeah, I mean, there's that person. That person's a real sinner. That person's a real saint. I'm probably like, you know, I'm I'm somewhere in between. And we rank people according to a scale of of sinfulness that we, we somehow create. But the sad reality is that our scales are broken. The calibration is all over the place. Our scales, when we use them in that way, they don't work. Here we have um, what we may consider uh, uh, two extremes, a Pharisee on the one hand, and possibly, maybe referring to this, but certainly in other stories in Scripture, perhaps a prostitute on the other end. And we're, we're, we're comparing ourselves and we're, we're, we're trying to get ourselves uh, right and make sure that our scales are Uh, working properly but the result of using these scales is that we will make wrong judgments both of ourselves and of others 
And this can either lead to godless glorification, where we think that somebody is wonderful, and we put them on a pedestal, and then all of a sudden something happens, and we realize that no human person should ever have been put on a pedestal other than Jesus Christ himself. No one, ever, no one else should we ever uh, think has got everything sewn up and everything sorted. How many of us have been disappointed by those who we've considered heroes of our, in our walk with Jesus? Heroes who've, 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 who've helped us to understand who Jesus is and yet somewhere along the line something's gone wrong. Something has failed in their lives and it becomes evident and we feel let down by that. So we can make wrong judgment by lifting people up and we can make long ju- wrong judgment by keeping and pushing people down. Callous condemnation where we think of ourselves more highly than others and we dismiss them and we, 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 we wonder how, how could God ever uh, love or use those kind of persons. Those are both wrong judgments that we should make and there is only one who is worthy to proclaim judgment. Romans 3 and verse 22 says, The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Only through faith in Christ are we able to deal with, to come to that place we talked about earlier in the service of repentance, of awakening, of realizing the righteousness of God and giving our lives, uh, receiving the salvation, the cleansing that he offers so that we can start afresh and we can walk as righteous people in his redemption. Because this is what the scale really looks like. And you may think the prostitutes down there somewhere at the bottom, the Pharisees higher up, that's certainly how they ranked themselves in the story that we read. But there's one who is off the charts. And there's no point in even trying to aspire to match up to the glory of God. Because it is he alone who is off those charts and who is able to make us righteous. Romans 6 Verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We earn death and destruction. When we do our things our own selfish ways, when we do things uh, according to what we would call the flesh, to gratify ourselves rather than to serve others and to love God, we are earning for ourselves death. But by a free gift, something that we can't earn, by faith in Jesus, we can receive the gift of eternal life. And sorry for the cheesy illustration, but I've taken a picture of a cross here, and I've shown you that the scales are level. It's a level playing field. Whether you are a Pharisee or a prostitute, whether you've come from a broken background or a completely uh, whole background, whatever your journey through life is, the, there is, there is no differentiation. The arms of Jesus are open wide for you and for me, whatever our backstory is. Amen? It's glorious. It's wonderful. And it doesn't line up with other uh, attempts to uh, to, to, to reach religious perfection in order to earn God's favor. It's received favor that we live out as we live for him. We are all offered the same 
gift of eternal life in Christ. Not one of us can rely upon our own ideas, our own righteousness, or our own good deeds to attain the righteousness of God. Our hope is through faith in Christ Jesus. The playing field is level for all. And the only advantage for one of the people in that story between the Pharisee and the sinful lady, the only difference is that one of them was aware that she needed a saviour and one of them wasn't. So there is a sense that when we come with our brokenness, with our awareness of our humility and our frailty, we have that advantage of knowing that we need a saviour and coming by faith to receive him. And this woman, it says, and just to paint the picture, when people reclined at a table, their feet would be out behind them. So this is why it says she stood behind him. It says she stood behind him at his feet. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. This ordinary, or perhaps we might consider her less than ordinary person, has an extraordinary revelation of who Jesus Christ is. She recognizes him and she responds with an extraordinary and an extravagant outpouring of worship. That which was in her jar was most likely the most precious thing that she had. We take it for granted. We've got a can of deodorant or, a, or, or, or some, some, some aftershave or some perfume on the shelf. But this, this, this oil or this perfume that would have, she would have been carrying in her alabaster jar would have very likely been the most valuable thing that she possibly could have had in her life. It was, may have been the only valuable thing that she really had in her life. And she brought it to Jesus and she poured it out. And she anointed him with this precious, precious oil. I wonder what our response is today to who Jesus is. Are we willing to pour out what we have? Will we bring our offering of worship to him today? Romans 12 and verse 1, which coincidentally was the, is the verse for the day today on the Bible app, which I Highly recommend if you don't already use the Bible app. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. I, I like its daily refresh program that it goes through every day where there's a, a Bible verse. There's a short video with somebody explaining or talking about that. Uh, there's a little devotional, written devotional for you to read as well. And then there's an, app, uh, an opportunity to spend some time in prayer and, and seeking God. Just walks you through that very, very gently. I really recommend that to you. Um, it's the version app, but it just comes up with Holy Bible when you... The picture of the, is just Holy Bible. Yeah. recommend that to you. The verse for the day is this one. Romans 12 and verse 1, which is a very important verse to me, one that I love to quote. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Without going in great depth into the meanings and the understandings behind this verse, I simply want to say this. This morning, Jesus gave everything for us. It's interesting how many songs this morning were about mercy. I think God wants to talk to us about mercy today. He wants you to receive his mercy. He wants you to understand it. He wants you to know it. Not just in your head, but in your heart. And know his mercy. Loving kindness towards you. Not just to know it. 
but to live in response to it. To give your life because he's given his life. It just makes sense. He gave everything for us. So our right and reasonable response is to give everything for him. Giving everything for him is about surrendering our will. And sometimes we will have to do things that we wouldn't necessarily choose to do. But because it's what the Lord requires of us or asks of us or speaks to us, we will lay down our own comfort and our own wants and our own desires in order to love and serve him. Easy to say, difficult to do. But this woman brought that which was most valuable to her. And I wonder what is most valuable to you today. I told this anecdote before of a child who loves to play football. And he goes to a minister one day and says, I really want to know how I can how I can, how, how I can follow Jesus. And the minister says, you need to bring me your football boots and you need to, 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 be, to be able to give it up. And so he goes away and he struggles and for weeks he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't want to give up his football. So, but one day he finally comes and he brings himself and says, okay, here's, here's my football boots. I, don't, I, I give it up for God. And actually what happens then is the minister takes the football boots, gives them back and says, it was not about giving up the football, it was about being willing to give it up, being willing to lay down everything for Jesus. And you can go back and play your football and glorify God in that context. Are we willing to give up what we have? The woman in the story overcame the comparison game and she fixed her attention and devotion on Jesus. The Pharisee, at least at first, did not. Because when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Simon was comparing her sin to his sin, and that was making him question the credentials of Christ. Whether he had a plank or a speck in his own eye, we're not sure. That's a reference to another biblical illustration. But whatever happens, he was pointing the finger in the wrong direction. The point here in this story is the forgiveness of the master. And that's what Jesus illustrates in his response. Neither of them, he says, about the two people who'd been forgiven a debt, had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Which of them will love him more? Not one of us, not you, not me, not any of us, can pay the price of our sin and yet we're all offered the same gift of eternal life. There's no discrimination in the power of the cross. And when we realize how much we've been forgiven, how much we have been given, then we will love the Lord more. Amen? So that's my encouragement to us today. Love him more. Matthew Henry's commentary in this passage, one of the things it says is, Christ shows that he was more than a prophet. For he is the one that has power on earth to forgive sins and to whom are due the affections and thankful acknowledgements of penitent, pardoned sinners. Jesus explained to Simon that he'd failed to know, the, to show him the kind of love that the woman had shown him. Let us not subject ourselves to that same criticism. Let us be those that pour out our love upon Jesus and upon people as we seek to be a church growing in our aim to love God and love people. So what this morning can you bring in your alabaster jar 
What can you bring and lay down at Jesus' feet? What is the contents of your jar? And will you pour it out for him? Just to finish, I want to say, God chooses you. God chooses you. Don't rule yourself out because others have judged you. Don't rule yourself out because of where you think you land on that sinner scale. Don't rule yourself out. And don't point the fingers at others whilst ignoring your own failings. Do realize who Jesus is. Realize all that he's done for you. Do bring extravagant worship and lay down your life for him afresh today. And do love him more. If you don't mind closing your eyes for just a few moments, I'd like to finish by praying. And I would like to pray for a few specific groups of people. First of all, I want to pray for you if you want to give your life to Jesus today. It might be that you've never come to an understanding of the saving faith, saving faith that you can have in Jesus Christ. You've never realized that he's God and that you can receive his salvation by faith. Nothing you could earn, but something that you can receive. If that's you this morning and you're here and you're saying, yeah, I, I feel the Holy Spirit is, is awakening that truth and that reality in me. I'd like to give you the opportunity to follow Jesus. First of all, those who want to follow him for the first time. Is there anybody in the room? And if there is, while eyes are closed and the cameras are definitely not pointing on the room, just invite you to raise your hand so that we can pray with you and help you begin that journey of walking with Jesus and following him today. No problem. There's nobody in the room and that's fine. If there is anybody who wants to know more about what that means, please speak with us. Please email us. Uh, whether you're in the room or online, we'd love to follow that up with you. But there may be some, and I think this is maybe speaking into what, some of what we sensed during the worship earlier. There may be some who need to come back to him today for whatever reason. You may have even been coming to church week after week after week. But actually you know that there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an awakening, a, a coming back into his arms and into his presence this morning. And if that's you, just be brave enough while eyes are closed just to raise your hand so that we can pray with you. And help you on that journey, walking into the arms of Jesus. Lord, I pray for anybody who's in that scenario. Either coming, wanting to know you and surrender their life to you for the first time. Or to re-surrender, to reiterate their faith in you. Lord, would they find your mercy and your loving kindness. And would you strengthen them and equip them and empower them by your Holy Spirit? The next group of people would be if you are living under a cloud of shame because of your own choices or because of the words or choices of others that have impacted you. And the final group is if you need God to forgive you for the way that you've judged other people. And I don't want to single you out and I don't want you to feel like you need to uh, say anything about that. I'm just going to pray, Lord, we lift off shame in the name of Jesus. And we, we say, we come alongside these people, as you would, Lord, and we say, put your shoulders back. Stand strong because God is with you, because God loves you, and because he has forgiven you and made you right with him. Lord, would you help them and strengthen them as they respond to that? And Lord, for any of us that have passed judgment on others, unfairly or unrighteously, 
Lord God, I pray that you would forgive us and help us to see people through your eyes and to know them in the way that you know them. We pray for that in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.